This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Listen up, men. The ABC is testing a new prototype, codenamed Last Resort. It was designed by one of their top specialists, showrunner Sean Ryan. Now, we don't know yet if this Last Resort program is going to work, but if it does, well, that could be a game changer. Captain Johnson, Officer Harbin, I'm sending you on a reconnaissance mission. We want to know everything there is to know about this thing. Study it, analyze it, and report back. I expect weekly dispatches from St. Marina. The fate of our nation depends on it. So get to it. You have the con. The date is 10-30-2012. This is dispatch number 006 from the island of St. Marina. The purpose of this message is to report on the new prototype launched by the ABC, codenamed Last Resort. I'm Captain Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined, as usual, by my XO, Greg Harbin. Aye, aye, Captain. I am pleased to report that I decided not to defect to Russia, after all, and instead did return home, and I'm, I'm here, ready to report for duty. I'm glad that you decided not to defect. How do I know that you're not a double agent? I'm not sure if you can know, actually, at, at this point. It's, it's pretty confusing. Actually, you know, I got, I got the questions at the, the border, you know. Why were you in Russia? Like, I was on vacation, you know, what's the big deal? It's just Russia. Well, I don't, I don't see why, Russia, yeah, you know. Just watch any movie from the 80s, okay? Exactly. I found out my girlfriend hasn't seen Top Gun. She hasn't seen Hunt for Red October. Like, how do you even know? Ah, oh, goodness, I, I have a lot of education on 80s Cold War movies to get her caught up on. Is your girlfriend Russian? Yes, well, that was the reason for the trip. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if she was Russian or if she was just, like, studying in Russia or what the deal was, but... now full-blooded Russian, but completely unaware of 80s American jingoistic films. Yeah, why wouldn't she watch those movies where Russia's the bad guy and the Americans come along and crush them? Surely Top Gun was a huge hit in Russia. Surely. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well... I'm glad you're back. Uh, for the purposes of this dispatch, I'm going to keep giving you permission to speak freely, Thank even you. though I, I'm, I'm not sure I can trust your, your loyalty. <laughs> this week, we're going to be discussing episode number five of the series, Last Resort. It was an episode titled Skeleton Crew. It was written by David Weiner, and it was directed by Michael Offer, who, as you may recall, also directed episode number three, Eight Bells, which we talked about a few weeks ago. Officer Harbin, why don't you go ahead and give our listeners a quick reminder about what happened on this week's episode? Right. So this episode was all about Secretary of Defense Curry coming to the island to negotiate with Chaplin and Kendall, basically to see how they can get the crew home, because that's what what Chaplin said they were supposed to do in the first place, was get the crew home. So there's a lot of intense negotiation scenes, and it basically leads to Chaplin convincing Kendall that he's never going to let them go home and gets the very, very best offer out of Secretary Curry, which basically gives everybody but Chaplin complete amnesty and they get to go home and Chaplin's going to stand trial. And then Chaplin reveals that was his plan all along and that he was just manipulating events. But before the actual, the order can be, can go through the show's B-plot comes into play, which the B-plot has been that Grace has been on the boat to fix a battery uh, because, what is it, one of the buoys in the sonar net needs to be serviced. So they go out to fix it and reestablish the sonar net and in the process get tangled up with two attack subs and they end up having to fight their way out and repair it. And just as the negotiations are getting wrapped up, those subs get a firing order on the Colorado. And that's the moment where they tear up the deal and decide to fire on the Colorado. And this is the moment where Grace's father, Admiral Shepard, decides to pull out a gun and shoot the White House advisor in the chest, killing her. And I think he shoots Curry in the leg as well. So the deal's off the table and they leave the island and Chaplin says they're just going to pretend this whole negotiation never happened. Yeah, that's a pretty good good synopsis. So the negotiation goes south, and it, it, we should point out that Grace does survive the sub-battle. Yeah. And King, who they sent to change the battery, 
300 feet underwater, he survives as well, but just barely. And also back in Washington, Kylie and Christine have teamed up and they're now going to work together to, to try and discover the truth. I intend to flush every one of these rats into the light. But here's the thing. My um, access is a bit limited at the moment. So that's where you come in. What do you want me to do? I want you to make some noise. I know how frightening this must all be for you. All right. I wouldn't ask. I said, all right, I'll do it. But I want something too. My lawyer, Paul Wells, he's an old friend of Sam's and he's been amazing helping me through all this. Okay. But he's a government agent sent to spy on me and turn me against Sam. How do you know? <laughs> because the other woman always knows. Yeah, I feel like they're always, there's the A plot of Chaplin, the B plot of Grace, the C plot of King, and then the D plot, which is who's ever in Washington. And right. <laughs> in, in this episode, it was Kylie finding out that she's now persona non grata around Washington and she can't get the table she used to get. And her boyfriend is now hanging out with whoever he wants to and he doesn't care about her. And she goes to Christina's house basically to say, I need somebody to go tell the truth and to help me tell the truth. And Christina reveals that she knows that the guy from the government who's been helping her deal with this, she knows that he's just a plant and that he's he's there to try to get her to turn against her husband. Yeah, that was kind of a big reveal. Yeah. That she actually knows what's going on. I was so relieved. Yes. <laughs> honestly, I was so glad that finally it seems like this character is not just the whiny wife back at home who's going to be manipulated by the government. She, she actually does know what's going on, and she is very intelligent, and she's going to be manipulating him just as much as he's manipulating her. Exactly, exactly. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. First of all, I really want to talk about this negotiation. Now, obviously, you know, I forget his name. Is it Jay Carney, who plays um, Secretary Curry? Jay Carnes. Jay Carnes. So you know him from The Shield, which I, yes. I, have, I have yet to see. But this was, we basically been waiting to see him. He, was, he showed up last episode on video giving that order for people to basically go out and kill Chaplin. So, but this was him actually appearing in the show itself. And I was really waiting for this. And they really made the most of it. He is a fantastic villain. Yeah, he's got this really slimy, despicable aura around him. Yeah. And it's really interesting because he, he's not your typical physically imposing, mm -hmm. you know, intimidating villain. Uh, in The Shield, he played kind of the nerdy intellectual detective that the other cops would always make fun of, who, who, who always had his own crazy theories about what was actually going on. Hmm. And here, it, it's basically like that, except a much more sinister version like, if someone that was that smart decided to manipulate people, this is right. what you would get. He really does do a good job, and you really do get the feeling that this guy wants Chaplin's head on a platter, <laughs> and he will do whatever it takes, and he's also not about to do anything that will call into question the rightness yeah. Of the United States. Right. Well, I mean, you know, he's got a whole war that he's trying to fight, but he's having to spend time on this little stupid island talking to this little stupid captain of a little stupid nuclear submarine. You know, this is the the stick in his eye that's keeping him from focusing on what he thinks really matters. He'd like this whole thing to be just finished with. And you can tell that it's really just pissing him off. Uh, when he first arrives and he tells the sailors, you know, this is your moment. If you step forward, you'll be given, you know, amnesty. It will take you home. You won't be harmed. And when no one moves, you can just see the disgust on his face when he says, well, then you'll all just hang. Right. It, it's not It's not even you're, you're really villainous. Then you all will hang. He sort of just says it, well, whatever. Like, screw you guys. I've got more important things to do now. One thing this episode does really well is that it, it implies that there's stuff going on in the world that is really bad that we're not seeing. 
Right. We'll get some scenes in Washington with Kylie and Christine with their always hanging out in, in some pretty fancy places. And it seems on the surface like everything is more or less okay. But mm-hmm. then Curry shows up and suddenly it's like, no, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. Yeah. They don't know about it because they're on St. Marina. But people in the United States are freaking out. The Joint Chiefs are considering impeaching the president. Mm-hmm. At the end of this episode, it's revealed that China has invaded Taiwan. So there's some crazy stuff happening in the rest of the world. Yeah, you started to get a sense in this episode of really how cut off they are on the island. Because right. there just kept being like just news that they'd be getting, oh, the president has a 68% approval rating now. Like That's a huge thing um, because at the beginning of the episode, they were talking about impeaching him. But now all of a sudden he is you know, America's favorite guy. Right. And it, it does, again, we've talked in the past about how this is, this show is playing on contemporary ideas about America and what America represents and how it's, it's sort of referencing America's foreign policy. You know, one could argue that this is very similar to what happened with uh, Bush in Bush's first term mm-hmm. when 9-11 happened and all of a sudden his approval rating just shot up yeah quite a bit well and they reference that you know not that particularly but when curry brings up the approval rating chaplin says the bush one had a huge approval rating during the gulf war but you know when it came time to actually reelect him people chose clinton instead that you know your approval rating cannot really have any bearing on what happens when people actually need to put their foot down and say what they actually think of you. Right. But it is it is definitely the case that when America's at war, and we're, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but when, when we're at war, uh, the American people generally stand behind their government. And it's an interesting thing to see happen, um, even on this TV show. Right. And I, I think you're totally right that Curry just seems disgusted yeah. by the whole thing. I mean, obviously there was something that was supposed to happen in Pakistan that went wrong. Yeah. And it's unclear at the moment as to whether Curry wanted to nuke Pakistan or whether he just had to as a result of what whatever happened there with the SEALs. I actually have a theory about Pakistan that I want to bring up when we get to our big topic. Okay. Uh, okay. So, but yeah, you can definitely tell that Curry, yeah, he's not happy to be here. This was the last the last resort. Can I say that? This was, yeah. <laughs> this was not any place he wanted to be. And so when he shows up and he can't get the crew to just defect right away and he has to move on to this negotiation, he's just getting angrier and angrier as the show goes on. And that's where this show just got really intense, more intense than I'm used to from network TV. The, the moment where he... He brings up Chaplin's son, who has just died in Afghanistan. And Chaplin throws the table and grabs Curry and threatens to squeeze his eye jelly out. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I've, never, I've never felt so protective of my eye jelly as I have after seeing this episode. I'm now very worried about it. You launched a nuclear missile at your own country. You detonated two in Pakistan without a declaration of war. You fired a Tomahawk missile at your own... At a rogue submarine in contravention of direct orders, yes. Direct, unlawful, unconfirmed orders. I confirmed them. I meant by somebody with authority. Do not talk to me about your quaint ideas of right and wrong. We are not here because of your principles, son. We are here because of your failure. To do your duty, to follow orders, to simply turn a key and press a button. My God, a pair of chimpanzees could do what you could not. You want my offer? My offer is this. Treason. Sam Kendall, Marcus Chaplin, Grace Shepard, and all officers present on the con that day will appear before a military tribunal. What about my crew? Seven years each in a federal penitentiary. No parole. Now... We are willing to forego the death penalty in light of the circumstance regarding the unfortunate death of Captain Chaplin's son, Jeffrey. You want me, Finn? You want to silence me? You want to kill my crew? You had to shot you, son of a bitch. You missed. Look closely. I am not a politician. If you say my son's name again, I swear I will crush the jelly from your eyes. Easy, 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 easy. 
Get him down. We're okay. It just goes to show you that you don't need a whole lot of guns yeah. and explosions yep. to have some to, to make a situation seem really intense. Yeah. Sometimes just two people talking is intense enough yeah. by itself. And I think I think you're right, you know, Chaplin and this whole situation with the Colorado, this thing has the potential to dramatically derail Curry's plans, mm-hmm. whatever they may be. Yeah. This isn't just a few rogue sailors. This is a guy with nuclear weapons. Yeah. And you really do get the feeling that there's stuff that he would much rather be dealing with. But unfortunately, he's stuck here trying to talk down Chaplin. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but it, I was kind of surprised when it was revealed in the opening scene of the episode that this negotiation was going to happen. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't mention anything about an upcoming negotiation in the last episode. Yeah. Um, and so suddenly it's like, oh, wait, Curry's here? <laughs> He's coming to the island. It yeah. was a, it was a bit. It felt a bit rushed to me. But once Curry arrived, it was kind of like, okay, this is pretty great. This yeah. is good television. Yeah. Well, and, and so he brings along with him this White House advisor as well, who's sort of backing him up, sort of the liaison between between him and the White House. It was the sense I got. Uh, she sort of she had power of her own for this negotiation, and Curry was kind of there. Well, he was the power of the the military. She was sort of the power of the political end of things. That was the sense I was getting. Uh, But they both were sort of working different angles, whereas Curry was coming on Chaplin really strong, saying, oh, you want a deal? Here's a deal. How about I shoot you all in the face? (laughs) That was basically the (laughs) sense I got from him. Whereas she was saying, I I love the little scene she had with Chaplin where she said, look, Pakistan got nuked. Stuff's happening. And whatever, that's what's happening with them. Now, we are just people. We're normal people. Now, we've got to have a conversation. We've got to figure this out. We need to make sure this doesn't escalate anymore because of stuff we do. I, I thought that was a, a really interesting perspective because she, I don't think she knows all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes. She's just trying to make the best of a bad situation. Right. She's just there to negotiate. That's her job is to just try and make sure both sides end up as happy as they can be. That way the situation can be put behind them and the White House can focus on other stuff. Yeah. The, the actress who plays her, uh, April Grace, I've seen her on other things. Oh, okay. And I was trying to remember where. And I, I, I remember she had a very brief role in Magnolia um, and she's had a few other minor parts in some movies throughout the years. But I've seen her before, and I, I really like her. And I think she does a good job. It's kind of a pity that her role is suddenly cut short. Well, yeah. I mean, that's that's the big moment at the end of the episode. I guess we'll, we can go ahead and talk about, because um, I, mean, I mentioned in the synopsis, that at the point where the negotiations have basically concluded, I mean, Chaplin gets everything he wants. He he works this negotiation bit by bit. And by the way, I, I, I love the demonstration of negotiation. Um, I, I work in negotiation. I basically negotiate every day at my job. And to see it done so particularly was, was really exciting, actually. Like, usually negotiation is kind of done simply on, on TV. Like, I want this. Well, no, I want this. Uh, let's meet in the middle. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, Qui-Gon Jinn and Watto negotiating over uh, the release of, of Anakin and Shmi Skywalker in episode one. Am I going too right. geeky for you guys? Uh, and it's just really simple. It's like, that's not a negotiation. That's not how negotiation works. This was. They were both playing their cards really close to the chest. But you could also tell that Chaplin had all the power. He was holding all the cards. And all that Curry could really do uh, was keep letting more and more keep giving more and more first he says i will what was it i'll give you guys two years or six years and then it's down to two years and then he'll give everybody amnesty but the exo and the captain and then when chaplin manipulates things even further they end up basically giving everything away right to see chaplin in that much control over over the situation can this guy do any wrong? I mean, really, <laughs> he seems to be the best at everything. I feel like 
when the negotiations started, Curry definitely was more in control, or at least Chaplin mm. was trying to make it look like or make him feel like he had more power. Right, yeah. Because Curry just kind of starts out approaching it like, wait, you want a deal? Like, I'm not here to offer you a deal. Yeah. Give up the sub, come back with us. Uh, we're not going to be very lenient on you. We can get you off without the death penalty, basically. Right. But the thing is that Chaplin knows he has the trump card, which is the Navy SEALs. Yes, exactly. He doesn't know what happened in <laughs> Pakistan, but Curry doesn't know that he doesn't know. <laughs> so by 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 just yeah. acting like he knows all the dirty little details, uh, <laughs> that really is the game changer in that yeah. negotiation. Well, it, you know, even if Chaplin doesn't know what happened, I think he can be pretty safe in assuming that he can find out if he wants. Like, I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, King doesn't necessarily seem like the t- kind of guy who would tell necessarily what what happened hmm. and i i also feel like if uh sec def curry found out that king hadn't told chaplin all the details he would contact king and say hey right. come back to the u.s we'll offer you a deal he would do whatever he could to get king hmm. back on their side and who's to say king wouldn't join them that's probably you know, true. He, for the, the, we've been kind of given the impression that he's he feels a little bit stuck and he doesn't really side with Chaplin uh, and he still could be loyal to, to the United States government. So, yeah, that, that's very true. But as you say, Curry doesn't Curry doesn't know. He doesn't know the status right. of the of the I don't think he knows if they're alive or dead. He doesn't know. Certainly whose side they're on or if they're going to tell their side of the story. Uh, real quick, if I could, we we're, we're talking about where else we've seen April Grace. I just realized um, she was B. Clue on on Lost. Uh, she was one of the others. Oh, right. Who, yeah. again, she gets dispatched. I think Michael shoots her. I forget exactly who. I should remember this. But she gets dispatched in like a moment <laughs> all of a sudden. <laughs> and she basically dies in the same way. She was also on Star Trek Next Generation. For about five episodes as a transporter chief. Okay. And I, and I realized, yes, I actually do recognize from both those roles because I just watched all of Next Gen. <laughs> but she was, she was really good in this episode. And I, I wish, you know, you always wish that, that a character hadn't been killed off. Uh, well, most of the time, I suppose. But this was definitely a case where she was really strong in the negotiation. And it felt like she was that voice of reason in Washington that doesn't seem to exist until the moment where they get the firing solution. And she she said she wasn't going to enjoy giving the order, but she looked all too eager to go ahead and just blow the Colorado to smithereens. Well, that's because she knows that's the best deal for Washington, you know? Just blow up the Colorado, yep. kill Chaplin if you have to after that, and situation over. Right, right. I guess from their perspective, that is the best solution. Like, the only danger is if Chaplin still has these nukes. If Chaplin doesn't have the nukes, there's no reason to even talk to him. Right. Real quick, we, we talked a, a little bit about King. What did you think of that whole subplot involving him right. uh, changing the battery and getting stuck out there? Right. Well, that yeah, that brings us to Grace in Command, or Grace Under Fire, or however you want to put it, where it's kind of, it's kind of a lame B-plot, to be honest. You know, all of a sudden... Just when Curry comes, they, they run out of battery power in the sonar net. Like, right. Okay, it, it's, a, it's one of those contravances. But, so that happens, and they decide to put Grace, I'm sorry, Lieutenant Shepard, in control of the boat and send her out with a, drumroll, skeleton crew. I, I guess that's where the title comes from, because they need plenty of sailors on the beach, you know, on the island, to protect them, because... Curry brought on his own entourage, and basically everybody's just pointing guns at each other the entire time. So Grace doesn't get that many people. And as Cobb notes, what, they have like two qualified people in the con and people who are basically read books about piloting boats. So we'll put them in charge. It's sort of like on Star Trek when they leave Ensign Kim and Paris in charge of things, or uh, Travis Mayweather, if you ever watch Enterprise. It's it's not so good, but... (laughs) 
But Grace manages to to pull it out. She does a really good job. But I think, uh, talking about King, the main thing she did was recruiting King. She goes to the bar ostensibly to get King's advice about which diver she should use. I, I think you'd probably agree with me that her point was to get King. She knew that King was the right man for the job, and she needed to convince him to come along. I don't know if she knew that necessarily, but it certainly turned out to be the right decision. The thing about the subplot with Grace, I thought that this was probably the best sub battle we've seen on the show, at least since the pilot. Yeah, yeah. Just in terms of the different tactics that were used. Grace really does wind up in a rough situation. She has to choose whether or not to leave King behind And then she has to decide whether or not to try to make a break for the surface so that she can open up the the, the tubes for the nukes and threaten to fire them. And I have to say, the way it all worked out, it's true that she only survived by coincidence and the fact that her father shot the negotiator, which bought her a few precious seconds. Mm -hmm. But overall, just the way she handled it in terms of firing torpedoes into the rocks to create some debris and using that for cover, it was all really smart and it was all really intense, I thought. Nobody's this lucky. Somebody bought us time. Let's not waste it. Open doors one, two, and three. Aye, aye. Doors are closing on target. Ma'am, we got a shot. Ready torpedoes. On my order. Yeah. I need a radio. Get me a radio! Captain Butler, this is Secretary of Defense William Curry. I order you to fire! Fire! Torpedoes away. Target acquired. Ma'am, Illinois just opened her doors. She's gonna shoot. Illinois torpedo in the water. I love the use of the debris. You know, in Star Trek, you just go into a nebula. (laughs) <laughs> to hide right <laughs> hard to go into a nebula underwater but she did the next best thing um i did think i thought she was gonna actually shoot on the other subs i thought this was finally gonna be a big sub on sub confrontation i don't know i was a little disappointed when it ended up that she was just shooting at the i guess like a, a cliff or something but in the end yeah i mean that's that's the best solution that she was able to hide long enough to evade the other subs and i mean yes it would have all fallen down if admiral shepherd hadn't shot uh transport chief hubble but the way it worked out yes it was really good and her tactics were the best you could possibly do i don't know if chaplin could have done it any better and that's what led the cob to finally have respect for her i think we talked about that maybe the last time i was on the show a couple weeks ago where she really needed to prove herself. Right. You know, it wasn't that she'd ever done anything wrong, and that was why the cop didn't like her and why the crew didn't respect her. It's just she'd never done anything on this level. She'd never done anything to prove herself worthy of being their commander, and now finally she has done that. Yeah, it was really nice to see the cop finally show her some respect and hopefully in the future, he'll stop treating her like a little girl. Yeah. It was really interesting to watch how she reacted while she was on the con. Because at first you could tell she she seemed kind of panicked and like she didn't really know what to do. But when she makes that decision to leave King behind, you can tell that that's when she kind of puts her emotions aside and realizes you got to do what you got to do. And yeah. Honestly, that was the right decision to make. Yeah. If it comes down between leaving one guy behind or losing the whole boat, you leave one guy behind. Absolutely. Yeah. I was really glad to see what she's made of. I did think it was kind of convenient that because (laughs) King is a Navy SEAL, he apparently can hold his breath for six minutes. (laughs) But I didn't mind it quite as much just because this was by far the most interesting king subplot we've seen yeah on the show everything in the past couple weeks with king hasn't been all that interesting (laughs) that's quite true what did you think of him coming along so willingly that basically all grace has to do is present to him the idea of coming along and he's he's all for it it felt a little bit out of character to me, and I, I kind of feel like they just wrote it that way because they couldn't spend time having an, another scene where she has to work really hard to persuade him. And also, we've seen that before with him, where 
they need him to come and he doesn't want to. And then later he decides he will. So I feel like it, it was just a kind of a time saver yeah. to have him say yes right away. And also, I think it's possible that King realizes that he is the best guy suited for the job. I'm assuming that all of his other Navy SEAL buddies have left. So he's the last one, and he he's probably the only diver around. Yeah, I mean, he knows that as good as those two guys may be, they're not going to be good enough for this mission, especially if something goes wrong. You know, you don't oh, train... That's right. She did mention there were two other guys, so... Are, are we supposed to believe that there were that there are two other Navy SEALs left, or was she talking about two sailors from the ship? Or? Just Navy divers. Because, you know, if you're a submariner, that's going to be part of the training. At least, you right. know, there's going to be people on the boat who can go outside and, and do things. But I think his point is, you know, those people haven't been in combat. They aren't as well trained as he is. You know, he is... Well, well, also, they needed to change the battery out 300 feet below the surface. And I believe Grace said that the Navy divers had only trained up to 250 feet. Exactly, exactly. So while they may have been able to do it in the best situation, this was going to be a lot harder. And I think the way we see it play out, I think they, he, she would have lost him. You know, they may have been able to do the job, possibly, but they wouldn't have survived it. I'm glad that he was able to cut his tether and wasn't just <laughs> turned into goo or, or something yeah. <laughs> after being dragged down, you know, a thousand feet. Yeah, they they didn't, like, stop and, okay, make sure he knows. Okay, now make sure he's cut the tether. Okay, right. now dive. No, they just sort of went and hoped that the French lady would pass the message along. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but thankfully she did get the message. Yeah, and somewhere in the commercial break, I guess he cut the tether because it, it cuts to commercial with him sinking down in the deep, and I I really thought he was done for. Yeah, but but when they tune back, okay, he's swimming back up to the to the battery, and I I suppose he's fine. Now, th when he cut that off, he cut off his air, right? So he was only able to work with what was in his tank. So she was pretty much sacrificing at that point, but I think. Even he understood that was the correct choice. And when he sort of asked her at the end, how tough a decision was it? I think she understands. He understands that she didn't do it lightly, that she wasn't just diving for no reason. If she hadn't dived at that moment, yeah, they would have gotten blown up. And then the, right. whole, the whole mission would have been for nothing. Right. Well, I think we should move on to our main topic for the week. And it's a topic that you brought to my attention. Mm -hmm. And you told me that you wanted to spend a lot of time on this episode talking about, quote, the new American empire. Right. So why don't you elaborate on what you mean by that? And then we can definitely, uh, we'll talk about it. Sure. Well, this episode, I, I loved this episode, as, as I'm sure I'll, I'll talk about in the, in the conclusion, uh, so much that, you know, the moment it ended, I went back and just rewatched it again right away. This is the first time I've gone actually and watched it immediately again because there were these little moments that i want to make sure i picked up on and the biggest one for me was the scene where you know they go for the lunch break during the negotiations and curry's out at the beach next to that flag they have you know attached to a stick and he's skipping stones and chaplin comes up and they chat and you know chaplin's talking about he wants to get the truth out you know he wants to make sure that people know what's going on and what Curry said was surprising and also kind of expected. What he says is, you know, in the end, when this is all over, no one's going to care what happened in St. Marina because the story is going to be that this president took a crumbling nation and turned it into a new empire. And that line, I mean, that just shook me. Uh, because he's basically revealing, you know, this is one of those Bond-style monologues, He's basically revealing that the reason they nuked Pakistan and they're now China's now moving on Taiwan and they're they're going to move in there as well. They're actually looking to take over and establish an American foothold in the rest of the planet. And wow, I mean that's we've been kind of waiting to know what is this show about? You know, why is the president doing this? What is Chaplin fighting against? And here it is. It's America establishing itself as the ruler of Earth. 
At least that's the sense I got out of the conversation. Or at least a good portion of Earth. Right, yeah. Well, I, I don't imagine they're going to be nuking England anytime soon. But, right. But these people who have been antagonist, you know, screw it. Let's nuke them and take over. You know, enough with trying to establish democracies and, you know, spread freedom. Let's just nuke them and take over. Or, well, I, I think it might be a little more subtle than that, but that's basically the plan in Pakistan and what we're going to see going forward from this president. You know, we saw at the beginning of the show, the president was under fire. He was being scrutinized. We're still not entirely sure what for, but he was on the brink of impeachment. And apparently this is his plan to establish a, a new doctrine for how to deal with threats overseas. Right. And once again, here, here's the show playing off of American fears about our own government, mm-hmm. especially over the past 10 years. I think at one point, Curry mentions that 82 nations in the, new, in the UN have formally denounced the United States right. for well, its I mean, actions. This is kind of why you have a UN, is to keep a country from ever doing this. Right. And I found myself thinking, okay, I, I can't remember exactly, but wasn't there a rather large number of countries that denounced the United States uh, when we went into Iraq in 2003? Yes, there, there, there definitely were. I can't remember the exact number. And all the good it did. It, it's definitely, I think, playing on that idea of the U.S. as an imperialistic force that is going to attack the Middle East preemptively. Mm-hmm. as a means of strengthening their power and their global influence. And also to score political points back home. Mm-hmm. Because as you mentioned, approval ratings tend to go up in wartime. Yeah. Well, okay. So so I want to talk about my theory. Maybe I can get your perspective on on this. I know we don't want to spend too much time going into theories and theorizing about the future of the show, but... We do have this ongoing question of what were those SEALs doing in Pakistan? What exactly were they there for? Why was one of them shot? Why did them leaving immediately lead to the U.S. nuking Pakistan? And my theory that I'm running on right now is that they were there to enact a coup, basically to overthrow the government, install you know, their own leadership in Pakistan, and establish a foothold in the Middle East. Or that they were there as some sort of heavy-handed negotiation in order to lead to it. And basically the reason they nuked them was it failed. They got to the point where Pakistan got to be too big a hassle and they moved to plan B, which is just blow them to hell. That seems to be the way they're treated in Colorado as well, which is negotiate, negotiate, negotiate. And then at, at some point, well, if we can just blow them up and get it over with, let's just try that instead. That's definitely an interesting theory. I personally, just because it's in Pakistan, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I'm wondering if maybe it's going to turn out the SEALs were sent to kill some terrorist leader in the vein of Osama bin Laden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and suddenly the orders got changed. And that's why uh, King's buddy at one point just talks about how, you know, the, the, the orders were changed. The orders were changed. Right. That could be too. We killed the wrong guy basically. Right. Which I think would be interesting because the show would be operating not only as a commentary on Republican foreign policy under Bush, but also foreign policy under the Obama administration. Right. And I think that would be a, a very interesting way to take things but i honestly have no idea (laughs) at this point i'm just i can't believe that china invaded taiwan and the world is going to hell it's (laughs) it's escalating now like i mean seriously like they they don't really touch on it too much it was i think we just see it on a tv screen about china invading taiwan but yeah now other countries are taking this as an opportunity they're basically saying oh we're just allowed to do whatever we want now all right cool Right. And that's why Curry is even more incensed that he has to deal with this stupid little island. Who knows who else is doing stuff? We've already seen Russia decide maybe they wanted to see if they can take the sub. And they've got China invading Taiwan. And the story they're telling Christine that they were going to try to defect to China. Obviously, the government sees China as one of their main foes at this point. Yes. And I, I really find that interesting. Not only because I've, I've 
been to China, but also just because China is probably, some would say, the number two superpower in the world right now. Mm -hmm. Certainly economically, uh, it's doing very well. You could argue that financially, China owns us, (laughs) basically. (laughs) We owe them a lot of money. So by making China the primary villain, I just think that that could lead to some very interesting political developments Mm -hmm. down the road because China is a very important world power. Yes. A very influential one. I mean, invading the Middle East is bad enough. But a war with China could have far-reaching consequences that we can't even imagine. Right. And, and I mean, that's an actual world war at that point. It's, you know, the, right. the, that, that would be a world war. The, the right. difficulty with Pakistan or Afghanistan and on all these countries is trying to establish a new country there. Like, it's not hard to overthrow the government. We, we can go in some cruise missiles and, you know, then send in ground troops to mop it up. Like, that's fine. Or especially if we're, we're using nukes. But if you're going up against China, they've got nukes of their own. They've got an actual army. I mean, they've got an actual navy. It would take a lot more to defeat them, and it would definitely take a lot more lives. Like, you can't have a bloodless war against China. You have a, the bloodiest war since Korea if you start going up against China. Right. You have a potentially world-ending war if you yeah. go up against yes. China. <laughs> So by making China the primary villain, that's that to me is quite intimidating. As despicable and slimy as Curry is, he's a much more manageable threat than all of China. So if the U.S. does get involved in a war with China and Chaplin is there in the middle, that will make things very, very interesting. Definitely. And at that point, what do you do? <laughs> When two, when the world's two largest superpowers are at war with each other, and you're there with your little sub and seventeen nukes in the middle. Yep, and and okay, well there you have sweeps or <laughs> the season finale, I guess. Right. You know, right now all the Chaplin has to deal with is a blockade. You know what happens when China comes as well, or the blockade leaves and Chaplin decides to go and find out what's going on outside you know what happens when chaplin has to deal with someone who's not the united states and he can't just make a call to curry and say look i've got nukes trained to dc why don't you leave you know china doesn't care if he has nukes trained to dc china's just gonna fire anyway that's also gonna bring about some new potential alliances Mm -hmm. and betrayals as well because chaplin as a nuclear power if china could win him over to their side that's Oh, that's interesting. More nukes in the Middle East <laughs> that they could use to, to their advantage. Yeah. Alternatively, if the United States ever does go to war with China, Chaplin would suddenly be a very, very valuable presence there yep. in the region. That's very true. Yeah, it will definitely be interesting to see how that plays out. I could totally see Curry in the future coming to Chaplin and saying, we will give you all amnesty and a million dollars and your own plot of land yes. on in montana just help us fight the chinese <laughs> right you know yeah because it's going to come down to you know they need every last nuclear sub every last nuclear missile it, it's not only that they can't deal with this island they need the colorado to be in the fight right so yeah that's going to be really interesting to see i did want to talk real quick about a couple things from last episode that didn't seem to have any effect on the events of of this episode one was this mysterious magical compound that you guys that you and drew talked about last week as maybe being mystical and something magical like on lost it wasn't mentioned at all we, we saw the french lady but we didn't see surat at all i don't think they've dropped the plot but what did you think of them just not commenting on it i think they had to for the purposes of this episode i i'm not sure how they could have fit that in Honestly, and I'm I'm sure they'll get back to it at some point, uh, especially in the in the second half of the season. Yeah, yeah, that's another thing that we we don't know that yeah. could be another game changer. Yeah, it was it was interesting hearing you guys talk about it last week, and I always I just kept wanting to chime in. I really I really don't think they're going to do anything magical with it. I do feel like it's it's one of those threads that they can pick up later and basically make whatever they want. You know, maybe it is a magical compound that lets them make more nukes or more missiles or repair the ship 
or maybe they can sell it and 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 something like that who knows and i don't know that the writers know yet i think it's they're just putting this plot line in and say you know if we get that back end pickup that they've now gotten maybe we'll bring it up again and maybe it'll be something interesting the other thing was the whole point of last week's episode which was you know making people re-volunteer or if they want decide to go you know you were wondering what are they going to do are they going to just let them get on a sh- get on a boat and leave at this point they still have all those men well how many because i i if i'm remembering correctly when chaplin and the crew are waiting on the beach for curry to arrive and he's giving them his little speech about how they need to look united it didn't mm-hmm. seem like there were that many soldiers to me. Some of them are still on the submarine, remember? Right. A few of them are still on the sub, but it totally seemed to me like half of the crew may have indeed already left. I just I got the sense from something Kendall said that was they've got men who have signed a petition to leave and they haven't left yet. I got the sense that they were still there. With them. Oh, that, that's a good point. Yeah, that opening scene where Kendall and Chaplin are practicing. Right, right. They're, they're mock debate. You're right, you're right. So I guess they haven't left yet. I wonder if there's something in the way that Chaplin, you know, Chaplin did negotiate for their release. You know, he, he found a way for everybody to get amnesty. And then it was the U.S. government that ripped it up. You know, it wasn't Chaplin not letting them go at this point. It, it's the government. So I wonder if he's not going to have their loyalty now. Even if last episode they were wanting to leave. Yeah, that'll be it'll be interesting because who knows, maybe they'll realize, oh, the government's the one that screwed us. We yeah. should stick with Chaplin. Or maybe they'll just view it as Chaplin failed in his negotiations. Uh, he doesn't have our backs. Yeah, that's possible too. But you, you did get the sense, though, that the SEALs, other than King, that, that they did leave? Yeah, I'm pretty sure King is the only Navy SEAL left. Okay. I, I wasn't quite sure, and it could just be that I, I think I only watched last week's episode once. So, and I, if they did leave, I think it was between episodes. So I'm, I'm still waiting, waiting to see. There were, what, five or six SEALs? I think so, including and King. one was injured, one died. Yeah. There's King, and then there were those two guys that confronted him in the bar last episode who said that they were leaving right so i think king is the only one left i think that's true so so i think uh we're, we're running a little low on time but i think it's going to be interesting coming up seeing now that king has redeemed himself he's working with them fully and apparently that led to him being extremely horny at the end of the episode hey once you have a near-death experience <laughs> i mean right <laughs> you gotta you gotta grab every moment life throws at you sure man do 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 whatever you need to especially if you've <laughs> got the chick from dollhouse there and and she's got the hots for you right be my guest go for it but so now he's he's full of 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 patriotic zeal if, yeah sure let's call it patriotic <laughs> zeal <laughs> he, he needs to have a sit down with Chaplin where he tells them you know what actually went down in pakistan now finally maybe we can get that flashback episode we've been waiting for where we actually see what the seals were up to in pakistan right and it'll be interesting to see if he and tishan lachman's character if, if their relationship will be something that lasts or if it was just a temporary little fling that yeah. he felt like he needed to have after that experience yeah uh, maybe that bulge of patriotic seal in his pants will go away <laughs> you never know <laughs> right um all right is there anything else you would like to say about this episode of last resort uh well i i just want to say you know i think this is the best episode of last resort they've done and probably the best episode of network tv i've seen you know since maybe an episode of lost uh, i was saying to you before the show that this was last resort's walkabout now walkabout was that episode of lost in the first season i think it was episode five or six where it's revealed spoilers that Locke was in a wheelchair before the island. And that's kind of the episode where word of mouth really started building for Lost, where people said, this is really a show you should be watching because there's stuff going on here that you're really going to want to see happen and see play out. And that's the sense I get from Skeleton Crew, that we're going to remember this episode, that if I tell people, watch Last Resort years from now, it'll be keep watching through episode five, because that's when the S really hits the F. 
and you're going to want to see it. And that's going to be your, your deciding point of whether you should continue with the show. It was a very good episode. I still think the show feels a bit rushed at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like maybe if this was airing on HBO or Showtime or some network where they didn't have to have commercial breaks, the show would flow a lot better. But even so, you're right. It was a very, very solid episode. And it'll be interesting to see what happens next. Exo Harbin, is there anything else you'd like to say before I close this out? Uh, no, sir. I, I believe you can have the con. All right. Well, as always, you can find all of our episodes at filmgeekradio.com. We would love to hear from you. Please let us know what do you think of Last Resort and what did you think of Skeleton Crew? Did you like it as much as we did? Write in and let us know. You can email us at lastresort at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes. Please write us a review. That does a lot to help get the word out about the show, and we really appreciate it. And don't forget, you can check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix, Let's Get Real, and The Thin Place. Greg, where can people find you online? They can find me on Trek FM, that's Trek.FM, on the Ready Room podcast, which is a Star Trek news and discussion podcast. It's weekly. As well as on Twitter, at Greg Harbin, that's G-R-E-G-H-A-R-B-Z-N-B-O-Y-I-N, as well as on App.net as just Harbin, which is still a developing community, but if you are on app.net, let me know so I can follow you back. You can find me on Twitter at WriterAndrew. Uh, you can also find some of my work and my writing at filmgeekradio.com. At the moment, I am watching all of the James Bond films in chronological order and writing a feature article on each of them in preparation for Skyfall. So if you're a Bond fan, check that out. All right, Executive Officer Harbin, insert your key. Aye, aye. And three, two, one. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!